This is Corkscrew Convos, another theme park podcast. My name is Chris, and today we're here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, the theater, big ideas, and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, let's get this disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. It is episode 64 and things are going to be a little bit different today uh, because I'm not joined here by DJ, my usual co-host. I've got a good friend of mine here that's going to fill in and we're going to have a pretty interesting conversation. His name is Max. Hey, everybody. Max, how are you doing today? What brings you here? Uh, well, what brings me here is you very kindly reaching out and offering for me to spend my afternoon recording this podcast with you, which I'm super excited to do. Yeah, I'm happy that we got this chance because we've been kicking around this idea for a while. Uh, you have some experience in the podcast world as well. Uh, of course, we have Corkscrew Convos too. We have a lot of similar interests too. And it just seems like a, a natural extension to be able to record one of these conversations that we have as part of the podcast. So I do thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me here and, and have a fun discussion. I think we've got a lot of fun things planned right now. But first, let's help the audience get to know you a little better. What is your story? All right. So my story is kind of, uh, I mean, it's interesting to some degree, but it's also kind of generic. I'm a born and raised Floridian. So I've lived in the Sunshine State my entire life. And have been Would surrounded. you say that you are a grand Floridian? <laughs> oh, if I only had that kind of value, that'd be fantastic. Uh, no, just a regular Floridian, I think. Not the crazy ones who stand outside and headbang in a hurricane, but definitely gotten more <laughs> comfortable with them over time. Uh, no, I've been in the in the state my whole life and, you know, grew up going to theme parks and going to Disney and Universal, SeaWorld, Busch Gardens, and kind of traveling mostly around the state of Florida. So okay. it's because of that time growing up and that escapism of the parks that kind of drew me to them. And I never even decided on like looking at colleges as like a formal task. You know, most people like go searching for a college like, hey, this is where I want to go. I yeah. never did that. I just said, what's in Orlando? How do I get <laughs> to Orlando? And was very, very fortunate to stumble upon UCF. Um, go Knights. Good nights, uh, charge on, right? And a really good yeah. time, right? In between that, like, sweet spot of, like, 2011 to 2015 is, you know, the athletic program, football started to kick off really, really strong. Basketball at the time had, I think, Michael Jordan's son playing for them. Um, wow. So there was a lot of hype around the university, and it was growing really rapidly to being, like, the second or first largest student population in the country. So I spent my time at UCF. I was, thought I was going to be an engineer, quite honestly, you know, designing new rides and being that person. And then uh, I realized that physics and calculus were not my best friends. Hey, but my, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were, I, I got the idea of it, but for whatever reason, the formulas and the actual computing just was not getting to numbers that made any kind of realistic sense whatsoever. So then my friend showed me this cool thing called hospitality where I was like, all you do is talk about theme parks all day. And I said, Hey, that sounds like fun. Never got better grades in my life till I joined the hospitality program. <laughs> now, was that the Rosen program, whatever they call it? Yes, it was at the Rosen College of Hospitality Management uh, here in Orlando. Actually, on the same property, I think, as the Rosen Shingle Creek Resort. Um, it's really cool. The actual campus sits right in front of the main hotel. So, like, as you drive up to it, 
it kind of looks like it's part of the hotel, but it's two very different actual buildings that are spaced really far apart. But the illusion is they're right on top of each other, which is actually really cool. Oh, nice. Well, speaking of that college and that discipline, I have, of course, other friends that have been through there as well. And they always mention this legendary assignment that they all had to do called uh, it was something about building a park and roller coaster tycoon. Did you get to do that? So I've heard of this project. I did not have to build an entire theme park in roller coaster tycoon. I've had assignments where we were asked to like do a deep analysis on a single attraction or a single area of a park and retheme it. Um, we've, I've been asked to do a project where we um, were assigned a random island, like a, probably a place on Earth you've never heard of before, and do research on it and come up with a, an attraction concept, a parade concept, a restaurant concept, um, basically some type of entertainment co- stage show concept around this island. And that was an assignment. Uh, but I did have one assignment where I did use Roller Coaster Tycoon because I wanted to, I was trying to present this idea for an Olympics themed theme park. And yeah. I thought the e-ticket attraction was going to be this bobsled race where you hop in a bobsled coaster and start on the top of this icy mountain and you go through your run. And when you get to the end, your bobsled doesn't stop and you continue all the way down to the mountain, which then transitions into a beach. And you end up just crashing down in the ocean into a tropical uh, tropical area there as the uh, big finale of the attraction. So I actually built that on Roller Coaster Tycoon and recorded the video of the onboard to use in the presentation while I talked about it. That was the closest I got to a project like that. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. But of course, a lot of work to put all that together too. Uh, I didn't feel like much work. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it was me going the extra mile, so it didn't feel like a lot of work at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I never really played Roller Coaster Tycoons one or three. I mean, one or two, but for three, that was what I played for a lot of time <laughs> with the expansion packs too, where I'd add a lot of animals and then they'd start making more ma- animals in the exhibit, mm-hmm. and soon I would have too many. I'd have to try <laughs> to sell them, or otherwise, like they'd their health would go down because there'd be too many animals in the exhibit, and it was very stressful. Um, <laughs> but it was a fun game, all in all, outside of that. I have since graduated to Planet Coaster, uh, originally on the PC, but most recently on the PS4. Um, and I like being able to play a game like this on the PS4, but I I don't think the PS4, or at least my base level PS4, was built for the computing power that is necessary for running that simulation of Planet Coaster because I try to build out a, a what I think is a reasonably sized park and it starts giving me alerts saying, you don't have much processing power left, be careful. <laughs> and then the, the frame rate just drops. That's <laughs> and interesting. The, the colors start going weird too. Uh, so I have to, I guess... I guess that's part of the game of having to work with limited resources and that includes processing power. (laughs) Correct. It's Um, part of the realism, you know, like, Hey, your park has got too much going on. You can't really power a drop tower and a launch coaster at the same time. You gotta, (sighs) you gotta choose one or the other, you know? Yeah. I guess that's just part of the fun of planet coaster. (laughs) I recently got into planet coaster and it is very much more intensive, especially in like the operations of the park world more than I think roller coaster tycoon was, but both great games. Yeah, I love how it isn't 
limited to squares like Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 yeah. was. I know that was a time period in terms of game style and ability and what computers could run. Uh, but I love how it's that much more of a sandbox for Planet Coaster. Uh, you can really build these incredible designs. I look on YouTube and see these recreations that people have built of terrain coasters and incredible projects that I thought, how many hours did it take to do that? Because I have the custom scenery and and so much more, the, the triggered special effects as well. It's incredible to see. I will say, in my opinion, I think Planet Coaster is the ideal theme park game for engineers because of just how much control you have over every piece, how you can angle it on Z, Y, and X axis, how you can rotate it to be very specific angles between how you do pathways and you know degrees of the coaster bankings. I think it's so fine-tuned that you have to almost take your time and be incredibly patient. Similar to like working with like AutoCAD or another design mm -hmm. uh, software for engineers. Like it's it's almost that specific where I kind of almost favor Roller Coaster Tycoon in its boxiness only because <laughs> it's so much easier to have less less options to just go, I want it to do this. And you know it's going to line up and not, not put all this time and energy into something that you get to the end and the last piece doesn't sit just right and you spend half an hour trying to adjust it. Have you used No Limits 2 software before? I have not. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. Okay, here we go. Oh no, I gotta sit, I gotta fuck up for this. You might want to take a week off work because you're gonna be <laughs> enamored with this. Uh, no limits, and originally uh, it was originally no limits. They have a second version of the software, no limits two, that came out 2013 or 2014, uh, but it is updated periodically as well. It is a design software to create roller coasters. It's not necessarily the engineering aspect of it in terms of crunching the numbers and really figuring out the the hard facts of what a roller coaster would need to look like to happen. But a lot of companies um, in some parks as well use it as a modeling tool to create the concept of what they want the roller coaster to look like. Um, I think most recently at Fun Spot America Atlanta, uh, they were using a version of No Limits to create some of the marketing materials for what their new roller coaster is going to look like. And a lot of parks have done that. I think Busch Gardens Williamsburg has done it in the last couple of years. Kennywood has used it too, I think. Um, and it comes down to the manufacturers as well using it to create the idea of what it looks like so that they can communicate the concept to the buyer and then build it and plan it out from that point on. But it's an accessible enough software that you can use it and I can use it. We're not engineers, but we're able to place where we want the track to go, uh, determine the roll point, how much it's banked in one direction or the other. Um, there's also this helpful button to hit, I think it's no lateral G-forces, so that it automatically rolls it to the point um, along a curve where it would need to be banked to not have any of that lateral forces. Um, and then you can build scenery in there. You can import custom scenery that I've done a little bit with uh, in uh, SketchUp and then bringing it into No Limits. They even have lighting that you can put in, a little bit of lighting design that you can do with that as well. Um, and there's so much that you can do to create a ride. And I... I was originally going to recommend that you buy it. Um, it is on Steam for PCs. I'm no longer going to recommend that you buy it, actually. I'm going to require 
I'm, <laughs> I'm going to require that you buy it because okay. I think it's something that is going to change your life, frankly. So, All right. That's interesting. <laughs> I really like that that's something that's being used. And I think it's happening more often because you mentioned, you know, the, these uh, theme parks and these manufacturing companies are using it to create models. And it makes me think of iRacing. Uh, because iRacing is a online platform where you can, you know, log in and build a profile and race on real racetracks and real race cars across multiple variety of series. That's something that um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. actually has investment in and kind of started back in the early 2000s as it was developing. Um, and they actually, NASCAR just used this iRacing to build a short track inside of the LA Coliseum. Um, for their kind of kickoff race for this year. And it started off as an iRacing concept and they had a new race car, the next gen race car, and they, they kind of tested it on that to see how this would work. And it produced a really great race that we saw at the beginning of uh, February down there in the LA Coliseum. So it's interesting to see how like these programs that people, you know, like just casual people off the street can go and purchase and be a part of. And yet big names and big industries are using them to put together amazing products. That's so cool. And now yeah. I might have to request two weeks off of work because <laughs> I don't know if one week is going to cut it with all that to do. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that you could do into it. They do have a wooden support generator that you can use to develop the big superstructure of wooden support so you don't have to place every single plank of wood yourself, though you could if you wanted to. Um, they also have some prefabricated steel supports that you can pick from, uh, borrowing from the different types of coasters out there. There's a ton of different configurations that you can build, even the 4D coaster with the uh, seats moving independently of the track. Oh my um, gosh. It takes a, a lot longer to build something like that because you have to both create the path of motion for the roller coaster and then roll the seats to where they need to be. And I've only done it a couple of times, but it is a, a pretty complicated but still rewarding attempt. And, and now we're we're getting off to a tangent, but something that <laughs> I've loved to do with DJ, uh, the other co-host here, and, and other friends as well, is to create design challenges for No Limits, where uh, we've each built in No Limits. We've done a lot of stuff. We've spent countless hours playing in it. I say playing is like we are sort of just saying, oh, what if we did this? But with the design challenges, I would put either some major constraint and some big requirement for the project where I think we had one where it had to be a dynamic, big terrain coaster rolling through the hills, doing whatever, uh, of which there are some coasters out there that are these big masterpieces that roll through the hills like Boulder Dash or even Apollo's Chariot, things like that. Uh, but the, the trick is you can't bank the track at all. You can't bank the track either way. It has to stay uh, at a zero-degree roll point. Why How do you, you do that? Why do you yeah. hate theme park people so much to ask something of them like that? <laughs> no, because it, it makes you think through a way to do it. I, I <laughs> built something in that challenge. DJ did something. We had another friend who built something like that as well. And we each came up with three entirely different attempts uh, three entirely different approaches on how to get around that restraint, that restriction of not mm -hmm. being able to bank the track at all. I did large sweeping hills and a sort of an out-and-back coaster so that I didn't have a lot of tight turns that would need a lot of banking. 
but uh, another friend of ours did something that was more reminiscent of um, some of the wooden coasters of the first half of the 20th century, where they would have high turnarounds before going back down into the layout of the coaster with the, the speed and the elements. And it's interesting to see what people come up with when they have such restrictions. So uh, I, I'm going to need you to get into that because then I'm going to give you some of the challenges that we have given ourselves as we try to work with uh, novel requirements and, and different restraints as well. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. No Limits 2 is a great software to really just play around with and create so, really it, compelling stuff. It sounds like a lot of limits for a game called No Limits. I'm just going to say it. But Well, we put the limits <laughs> on ourselves. No, it's all good. That does, sound like, yeah. that does sound like a fun challenge. I think it'd be something I would explore. It. Yeah, I would absolutely okay. explore that. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, it sounds like a plan, but this is not necessarily what we set out to talk to today. We just, we just have a, a good time exploring about Oh, what if we do that? What if we talk about that? But what we did have planned today was actually a pretty interesting concept. And and Max, I I understand it that you have a goal sometime in the future, maybe, of working towards owning your own FEC, your own family entertainment center. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know it's not something I thought a lot about growing up. It was more about the theme parks. Um, but as I've kind of broken into the industry more and kind of, I consider myself, you know, a themed entertainment professional now, like looking through across the entire industry, what else is out there? I think the FEC is something that it would be really fun to kind of get into that business and kind of create my own to operate and, and kind of build concepts out of at some point in the future. Yeah. Right. It's, it's incredible to see what FECs can be, uh, because I think a lot of what, many people have been familiarized with FEC has been something like Chuck E. Cheese, uh, because that's where they went as a little one. And that is an example of FEC, but it's just one example of what can be a very broad market, very broad industry, mm -hmm. I'd say, where it's not a gated amusement park theme park, but it still has attractions and games and food and beverage and themes. And a lot of times too, uh, that really create a really compelling experience. And so our topic for this episode today is going to be each of our ideal FEC build-outs, where if money and realism were no object, what would you build and where would you build it? Why would you build what you built? And, uh, and how would you do it all? Uh, we'd answer these questions here. We'd come up with a, a concept or a theme for each of us as well. Uh, but then we'd go maybe into the narrative and audience that we'd be going after, uh, the attractions and games that we'd be including that would be what are bringing people into the FEC, uh, but also going into the culinary experience. And finally, uh, we'll each discuss the wow factor that'll really set what we're trying to do apart. Uh, so does that sound like a plan, Max? That sounds amazing. Let's do it. So let me go first, because I, I kind of don't want to wait anymore until I share it with you and the listener uh, of what my concept and theme would be for my ideal FEC if I didn't have any restrictions on what I could build. Um, I just recently finished watching an incredible period comedy on HBO Max, uh, the other Max, by the way, uh, <laughs> HBO Max. Uh, Thank you for called, clarifying that, by the way. Appreciate my that. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I often it's, get sometimes confused with HBO Max, CarMax, Maxwell House Coffee. There's a variety of things. 
In fact, if you, the listener, if you're listening to this in your car, if you check your air conditioning, there might be a special setting just for me on it. So yeah. just keep, keep that in mind. Thank you for clarifying. My pleasure. This is HBO Max, and it was, uh, the show was called Our Flag Means Death. Have you seen this show yet? I haven't, no. Okay, it's really good. I mean, I absolutely loved it and its aesthetic because it was piratey, but also a little fantastical and out there. Uh, like, for example, Blackbeard is a major character in the story, uh, and he and his crew are dressed in black leather, like an 80s rock band, essentially. Uh, they've got, like, a, a, one of them is wearing a studded belt over his head, uh, that sort of thing. But also different elements of the period, too. Like, uh, other people aren't necessarily dressed like that, but um, there are different reasons for why the people appear as they are. And it goes into the story, the legend, I guess, of Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate who gave up his riches and his lands and his aristocracy, whatever you want to call it, to pursue a life of piracy in the golden age of pirates. And that story alone is very intriguing, but when you factor in the fact that he did have a pretty extended run-in with the real Blackbeard, which was Edward Teach, I mean, it's an incredible story that I can't believe that I wasn't familiar with ahead of um, watching this show, but then I see what they did in this series, and it's incredible. I mean, uh, just like the, the, the costume example itself reminded me of a production that I saw on Broadway a couple years ago called Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, where the principals wore period-appropriate imperial Russian attire, but the ensemble wore a more modern grunge-ish 90s rave costumes a little bit uh, to create that foil. And there's big words that are escaping me here about what they were doing with that. But there's so much that I could go on and on about that show with. Uh, it's the most brilliant design I've ever experienced and encountered because it was themed entertainment. As soon as you entered the theater, the experience began, even though it was at the, the highest level where a lot of Broadway shows are simply these proscenium shows where you watch it, the curtain goes up, it happens, and then the curtain goes down, and that's it. That show was not like that, and I, I won't go on into learning more I and mean, explaining more about Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. But um, if the listener or you, Max, are interested, I would highly recommend uh, to look at maybe some videos or some photos from that production on Broadway in 2016 and 2017. Uh, it was incredible what they did there. But I digress. <laughs> what I, I mean to say is I want to make a pirate-themed FEC in Florida, of all places. I know it's a bold concept uh, to put something pirate-themed in Florida, uh, but I want to draw on the popularity of Gasparilla, which is that a uh, huge weekend festival in the winter in Tampa. Uh, have you been to Gasparilla, Max? I have not. I've seen a lot of photos from people who have gone to Gasparilla. I've been invited to go out to it. I just couldn't make it, but it looks yeah, like a blast. I, it, it does look like a blast. I have yet to go myself because, I mean, it seems like this incredible undertaking to dress like a pirate and then just explore the festival like a pirate. I even heard that uh, the pirates themselves steal the key of the city from the mayor at the beginning of the festival. That's and it awesome. Just, it sounds hilarious. And of course, for a lot of people, it, it's an excuse to be 
revelry, revelous. Uh, that's not a word, but you get what I'm trying to say here. Where yeah. there's a lot of revelry to be had. There, that's where I was there going. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, wanna... I would any excuse to talk like a pirate. It's a great day for me. I always forget that I think it's like September 19th is National Talk Like a Pirate Day, and I yeah. always remember on the 20th when I want to start talking like a pirate. <laughs> so it's, I need to get that on my calendar more regularly. Uh huh. Some of us don't even need specific holidays to talk like a pirate. Some of us just do it when we feel like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. But, but yeah, so FEC themed to pirates in Florida. Because, of course, Gasparilla is a huge thing. There's a lot of real-world historical sites of where there was pirate-related events. I mean, I think St. Augustine was pretty big with that as well. Uh, a lot of the Florida coast, too. Um, that really ties into the lore in history of the golden age of pirates in the Caribbean. Um uh, there's a, a lot that happened around the islands, but also on the mainland of the U.S. as well. So ultimately, I want to draw on that to create an FEC-style experience. And uh, in terms of audience, I want this to be something with a broad appeal where, of course, there's a ton of families coming to Central Florida for the attractions there. So having something that can appeal to the whole family coming to visit and do their thing and yeah, they have a fun time, but then they leave and then being able to dial up the experience and the intensity, so to speak, to capitalize on different segments of the audience that are looking for, I guess, a little more immersive theming, a little more immersive experience when it comes to pirates. And I guess the first thing that comes to mind when I think about something like that is Area 15 in Las Vegas and soon to be in Orlando. Uh, they have, uh, it's a, I guess, a sort of a campus even. There's a lot of different experiences in the Area 15 umbrella of attractions in Vegas, but they are able to pull it together with a, a really nice thematic experience. I haven't been there personally myself, but have you, Max? No, I haven't yet, no. Have you heard of it at least? Yes, I definitely heard of okay. it. And I mean, when they announced, um, I actually listened to their CEO, Winston Fisher, on the Attraction Pros podcast, talk about the concept for Area 15, you know, opening during the pandemic, um, kind of their content box persona, as they like to describe it as. And the next week, they announced the opening of a location here in Orlando, which generated a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement uh, around Central Florida. So I'm really excited that they're going to be here soon. And looking forward to checking them out. But since then I have been on their website and I've kind of explored what it is. And I'm a little bit, of, I'm a little bit angry, actually. I'm a little bit upset because, you know, in part of my dreaming of an FEC, this campus concept idea of multiple things in a giant box is kind of along the lines of where I was going to take this thing. So they, they kind of, you know, had the funding and beat me to it as far as I'm concerned, but no, I think it's a great idea. It's a great concept. Um, it definitely, I think allows a lot of flexibility to tell a plethora of stories and keep things fresh and ever changing. Whereas opposed to a singular Chuck E. Cheese, you know, you kind of, it's all or nothing in that kind of context. Yeah. It's incredible to see the slate of events that they run in area 15 in Las Vegas. And when I think about what they can do in Orlando, uh, the scale of what they're probably going to be working with, of course, Las Vegas is a very big, uh, entertainment hub that brings in a lot of people, but Orlando is even bigger. 
but I'm going to be following that project very closely uh, because it's going to be incredible, and I can't wait to go there myself, uh, either the Las Vegas location or the Orlando uh, location as well. I can't wait to see it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a real good time. And I think, you know, kind of segueing into my idea of a concept, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different approach. Um, I feel like when it comes to an FEC concept that I want to build out, I kind of want to get away from the big cities. I want to go into the small rural towns that don't have a lot of entertainment options for a couple of reasons. One, the FEC kind of becomes this plan B of a alternative, which is fine. They, they typically are compared to a major theme park. But growing up in South Florida, we have uh, a variety of, you know, family entertainment locations. And the FEC is the most prominent one. We don't have a true theme park. There are water parks uh, around and, and there are other, you know, activities and events that happen throughout the year to participate in. But the FEC that comes to my mind is Boomers um, in Boca mm. Raton. Uh, that's one I grew up with very regularly and i have so many good memories from that and additionally up in long island uh, there used to be a place called sports plus um, which i only recently remembered from looking through really old family photos of us at sports plus but they had one of those like ferris wheels inside the building they had bumper cars they had the giant rock walls that go from the floor to the ceiling tons of arcade games i just remember you know so many special family memories from those places that were actually a little bit more special because they weren't, you know, your Disney worlds and your universals where everybody goes and you have tons of rides and all these different things. You had very few things that you made exciting. You made them more fun. So for me, my concept actually goes to more of a smaller town, a smaller place that maybe hasn't, isn't as well known or isn't as well discovered. Um, and I think I like to capitalize on the city it's in and its history to tell the story of what that FEC will be. For example, um, my wife and I took a trip up to Manchester, New Hampshire, um, where her family's from. And I know very little about Manchester, but one of the things that was exciting was we had some spare time on our trip and the option came up, what should we do? Uh, and we had already gone to Canopy Lake Park nearby. Um, and we opted for the a museum. I love museums. I think they're awesome. You know, science museums, history museums. I think they're a really great way to not only have a good time, but kind of have that education piece with it, uh, which I know people go, oh, education. I'm huge on that. The edutainment thing <laughs> from from Epcot with interventions and, and, you know, just all of that, the interactiveness of a science museum where you get to learn and have fun. I'm all for it. And I love to try to blend those concepts together more often and now more than ever in a variety of different ways. So for me, I'm going into some town. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me finish that story. So we went to the um, Milliard Museum up in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is a giant mill work. They used to uh, do textiles there. I forget how to pronounce it. It's like Muskegee. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to screw this up terribly. The Milliard Museum in Manchester, New Hampshire. People will know what that is. Uh, that place is this just giant, massive collection of mills, of buildings, where textiles used to be produced um, and, and shipped from in the Northeast. And it sits right on a riverbank, so it's powered partly by um, water uh, in the river right between there. And so it was interesting to kind of go in and see how in the mill they actually put in a museum about things from the time period in which it operated. 
how it worked. You got to walk inside of the one of the giant water canal tunnels that serviced part of the building. You got to see what was being produced, how things were being assembled, the tools, the machinery, the clothing. It was like stepping back in time, but in a modern context. And it was physically housed in those buildings, which was really cool, which I think some are like apartments now, some maybe office buildings. Um, and that idea alone was just really exciting for me to kind of learn about Manchester's history, still get hands on with a couple of like the models that they had that were on display of what the mills were, how it all worked, how things used to connect from the first floor to the fourth floor and then back down. And that whole process just was really exciting to me. So for me, my concept's definitely going to go into let me go into a city. Let me learn about it. Let me figure out what its unique special character is, what its nuance is, what that unique person whose family history is locked into that city and pull those unique stories out and tell something that hasn't been told before. Because I love the idea of taking some of my favorite things, whether it be NASCAR or wrestling, the West Wing, and building a concept around it. But the danger of every IP that I always have felt with every IP is if you don't get that one very particular key thing that someone latches onto from the show, the whole experience gets ruined for them because it wasn't that thing they were looking for. So I I'm on go board more. a West Wing dinner theater. Yes. Ooh, yes. I, th <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm thinking West Wing escape rooms, West Wing, you know, you name it. There's so much you can do with that, uh, that show that would absolutely be amazing in, in, in in my opinion, that I would be like, let's explore that for the next hour and a half. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, really bringing these original concepts to fruition to give people an experience that you didn't know existed before is kind of where I'm, I'm taking it and I'm placing it. I like the sound of that. I really do. I have a follow-up question for you. Do you imagine this concept that you're discussing taking the place of maybe an anchor tenant in a mall that has since shuttered, like a Sears or uh, a Macy's or something in these malls where these tertiary markets have these large indoor buildings, the infrastructure is already there, but then you are calling that home. Like I think there's some FECs out there. I think Scene 75 might be a, a good example of an FEC that is taking over an older portion of a mall that just isn't bringing in the people anymore and making it its own attraction. Is that what you're thinking? I think that, I mean, that could work for certain concepts, right? It, it depends on what story you want to tell and how immersive you want to get, you know, if you wanted, for example, let's like, let's use Wonderworks for an example, right? If I wanted to create the concept for Wonderworks, I don't know if I could put it in a mall because of the physical building. Although it's helpful that the physical building is already there, if I want that upside down building to be my staple first thing you see when you approach the building, you know, how do you get that construction cost in? How, how much money are you willing to invest? Now, I know the concept here is there is no limits, right? So in that case, yeah, a mall is a perfect spot to put stuff because it's already been somewhat developed for you to come in and, you know, restructure a couple buildings, repave a parking lot and redesign rooms the way you want and then boom you're off to the races and a lot of the heavy lifting might be already done for you depending depending on how uh, how abandoned it has been on the inside <laughs> okay and the, another follow-up question i'm very intrigued by you going into these smaller markets that might not have their own major attraction nearby so it my mind goes to something like branson 
or even Pigeon Forge, or uh, in Pennsylvania, I think there's Lancaster as well, where there are these markets that each have their quirky attractions that have been around for maybe 50 or 60 years, and little by little they get a Ripley's, they get a mini golf, something like that, to create a maybe like this tourism market out there that uh, together brings in more tourists. Do you imagine this going into a place like Branson, which is closer to some population centers like Little Rock and Springfield or even uh, Oklahoma City as well? And I guess maybe eight or so hours from Dallas, uh, getting further out there. But do you imagine this being something that is in one of these tourism markets that have grown up around being the drivable alternative to families not wanting to fly to Disney World? Or are you thinking going into these actual small towns and then creating an attraction there for the people that live there uh, on an individual basis? I think more the second one personally, because okay. kind of the, the city where I live in is kind of in between Orlando and Winter Haven where Legoland sits. And it's about an hour and a half from Tampa or Bush Gardens. So we're kind of in the middle of, you know, all of the, the Florida, Central Florida regional theme parks. Um, but within my city, you know, it's at least a 30 minute drive to get to any of those places. And the nearest form of entertainment it, around us is really just a movie theater. There isn't, you know, you should, yes, shopping malls, I guess, could be a form of entertainment if you're into that kind of thing. But uh you know, there's not like a mini golf nearby. There's not really a bowling alley, any of those type of things. So for me, it's more of those really small places to give people in these smaller places or their families when they come to visit something to do, something that's not just the, the restaurant experience or a shopping experience or having to travel far, which I mean, is still fun and can still be part of it. But I think to go into a place where it's not super touristy helps because I think those communities can have something that they're proud of. You know, when you think about the type of employee who's going to eventually run the thing, too, though, right, having some of the locals there is really going to be impactful for really selling that experience. Right. If I have an authentic experience about, um, for example, Alva, Florida, where I know um, there's like a watermelon farms all through that area. You know, most people haven't heard of Alva, Florida up in the panhandle. But if you know about it, you might be interested to learn about its history and what's there. And if we take people from Alva and, you know, they're willing and able to you know, operate this facility, you're going to get a more authentic experience than if you took, you know, a Rosengrad like myself and threw me over there to manage and, and run this, uh, this concept. I think there's a lot of benefits to going somewhere smaller, um, and really going somewhere not as touristy. Um, now for the business wise, that might not be the smartest decision, right? You, you need people to keep your business going, especially if you're going to get really creative in your concepts and, and really branch out and do some big, bold things. But if you do it really, really well, there's what's to say that you won't create a new touristy town, you know, giving people not just in Alva, but the cities around Alva, something to come and do. Um, you know, how many people heard of Winter Haven before Legoland? Legoland came in and now Winter Haven is a little bit more well known and is a little bit bigger on all of our Google Maps because it has such a big attraction that was done really well over there. It had a big name to it as well. But. Ultimately, you can do a lot with with the I mean, Orlando and Disney. Not many people knew Orlando before Disney, um, and it, it grew to be this massive, massive thing. So, 
I think it depends how much you do, but personally, I want to go somewhere where it's a little bit quieter because I would like to not have the burden of the masses and masses and masses of people all at one time trying to experience things while this concept is at least building and getting started. I think getting started, it's nice to have a, a steady pace and investment, a strategy to unlocking how people are going to interact with things, how people are going to respond to new experiences within the FEC, new food products, which we'll talk about, um, and really kind of test, test the concept out. You know, do people have interest in this? Is it something that they want to do? Are they going to have fun while they do it? And how creative can you be with, you know, those constraints, those limited resources around you? So do I imagine this correctly, that this concept would be something that the locals can really dwell at on a weeknight even? Bring the kids, they'll play some games, visit the, the, the attractions that are in your FEC, but also being able to mark special occasions there. Like coming on the weekends, having their birthday parties, their other events there so that they can maybe visit, I don't know what your goal would be, but maybe something like three to ten visits a year, I guess, depending on the person. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, locals. I don't want to I don't want to jump too far ahead. Um, but, you know, one of the things I was going to mention that, you know, we, we talk about the specifics of what's in this is. You know, entertainment center. What is entertainment, right? I think of stage shows. I think of live performance. I think of live bands, live uh, marching bands. One of the one of the things that um, was a really cool concept. I think it was a Broadway show called Blast, which was essentially a drum and bugle corps on a theater stage. So you take a marching band, throw them on a theater stage, right? You create some unique choreography with that and you have this really epic experience that people go into with live music. Part of my FEC would be able to include something of like that where you could have a live entertainment facility for community plays. Maybe community bands come perform from the local high school, middle school or community college come and they have a place where they can perform and do special events as like a fundraiser or raise money. And then immediately after, you know, they're attached to this entertainment complex that has other things to do. So it's not just a two-hour band performance or chorus concert, but now you have this coupled with this experience that people can move right next door into and, you know, play arcade games or go through a different type of experience that we're telling, whether it's about their city or not, you know, whether it's an original concept or not, they have something attached to it, but it becomes really a community center for not just birthday parties and weddings and anniversaries, but hey, this local group is coming and they're going to be here and they have this meeting space. Cool, it's a meeting space that can also be a performance stage. It can also be, you know, a, a theater. It can also be a movie preview. Um, you know, it has multiple purposes that really anybody who wants to perform any kind of entertainment or provide any kind of entertainment for could use. That is a unique concept that's drastically missing from entertainment concepts is live entertainment. Why? It's expensive, but I think bringing the community into that live experience is worth it. I mean, Dr. Phillips Center here in Orlando gets so many performances from all over, and it is a, a, a hot ticket to buy, and it is sometimes difficult to get tickets to events down there, but giving these smaller communities a nice facility 
to do that kind of stuff in and something again to be proud of and you know work up towards you know not every band is going to get to carnegie hall but if they can come on down to you know max's fec and they perform it and they have a great time then that's the only memory that really matters yeah i like the sound of that so that it can be a reflection of what the community is able to put together uh, not only in entertainment, but like you said, with Alva, Florida, with their mm-hmm. industry of watermelons, <laughs> things that make that area unique and special, bringing that into the FEC experience. I really do like the sound of that. Uh, we went into very different directions with this prompt, and I'm glad that we have because we're able to both explore the different ends of the spectrum, I think, and, and what we want our No Limits FECs to be. Uh, so with that in mind, let's explore what each of our imaginary FECs could look like. Let's go into the the narrative and the audience. We'll go through attractions, games, that sort of thing. Uh, but also talking about the culinary experience and finally the wow factor about what will set our FEC apart from others. What will we add to the conversation? Uh, we'll close up with that as well. So... In discussing the narrative and the audience of my FEC, I want to talk about the golden age of pirates. And Max, are you familiar? Are you familiar with uh, what I mean when I say the golden age of pirates? I think I'll need a little bit more context, and I'll probably catch some of the references. Sure. Yeah. Well, ever since I've watched uh, that show, Our Flag Means Death, I have been reading up a little bit more about these real life characters and, and what they did. Um, I'm just pulling up the YouTube, um, not the YouTube, the Wikipedia page here of the Golden Age of Piracy. Uh, it looks like it was from the 1650s to the 1730s. Uh, it says the Golden Age of Piracy is a common designation for the period between the 1650s and the 1730s when maritime piracy was a significant factor in the histories of the Caribbean, the United Kingdom, the Indian Ocean, North America, and West Africa. So I think what a lot of people gravitate to when they think of pirates in the Caribbean is pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean, however they say it. Um, Because I think it's almost impossible not to mention pirates now without thinking of that franchise because i think they sort of have defined what piracy looks like for the modern audience i know that there are lots of one-off pirate attractions and things here and there that pop up in florida because uh, there is uh, like i said a natural link to pirates and florida um, in the in the tourism sense there but i want to include that, but again, make it more so that I can add something to the conversation. I want to throw in a little bit of Jules Verne, maybe a couple pinches of Jules Verne into the FEC theme pot that I'm stirring in right now, uh, because I want to have the freedom to go out there and indulge in the surreal. Um, maybe not as far as Meow Wolf. I mean, maybe it'd be incredible to have a a Meow Wolf installation in this FEC, uh, but I don't know if I'm there yet in this concept. I I haven't quite fleshed it out all the way yet. That's what we're doing here right now. Um, So with adding these Jules, Jules Verne elements into it, I want it to be verging on the surreal, but I don't want to go all the way to steampunk. Because I I enjoy steampunk. I think it's a cool aesthetic, but I think steampunk might be getting tired. And do you know do you know what I mean when I yeah, say that? Max? I think I, I think it, it sounds almost like you want like practical, 
Like you want it to look and feel how it would have actually operated in the time it was being used to give it that that kind of functionality of it and that kind of nostalgia as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I want that realism, that grittiness of the pirate experience. Well, not photorealistic because I'm sure it was very right. illegal and very gory. <laughs> what? But, <laughs> no. But the like the the revival. I mean the the mission architecture, the uh, the different elements of I guess what Pirates of the Caribbean has done very well in creating this pirate environment that is compelling and interesting to consume through both an attraction in many cases and movie franchises like that. But I also want to be able to be, like, like I said with Jules Verne, a little more out there, a little more fantastical and surreal so that I have the creative license to make things uh, different and more um, I haven't quite put my finger on how that will be accomplished yet, but I want the flexibility in this theme, this greater thematic concept to be able to do so. And I'm not going to have gears all over the place and people wearing goggles like steampunk. That's not what I'm going for, but I want it to be flexible, I guess is what I'm saying. When I hear this, I think of this as like the prime example of how technology integrated the right way makes a world of difference because you might not need to put like the steampunk like pipes and the little, you know, the little red knobs and stuff and like little gauges and stuff that you often see with steampunk, like around the place, you could simply have what is just a, looks like a very nostalgic rustic pirate town or ship or brig, whatever, whatever you're aiming for. And then just include technology that whenever your, your guest interfaces with something in some manner, that technology creates that fantastical element or moment that comes and then recedes away. So that way the, the, the still image of what you have doesn't drift too far to that steampunk thing you're trying to avoid, but you have this technology that can allow a moment to happen where it takes that very real pirate theme and makes it that fantastical thing that it, it shouldn't be, but we can elude it to be for that brief period of time. Does that make sense? Yes, I think that's what I'm going for. That was a, a great yeah. way to put it. Thank you for helping me to I got articulate you. my thoughts here. Because uh, like I'm thinking of Jules Verne. There was Around the World in 80 Days, so that air balloon that they uh, traveled the world with. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to follow that storyline, but I think that there could be the possibility of including an airship, maybe not like a, a dirigible, but an air balloon in some element of it, whether that is one of those realistic air balloons that they have at Disney Springs or Branson Landing that go up and down. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, but also maybe it could be something like a a simulator style attraction of that. I, I can't remember the exact manufacturer, but it was next to the Intamin booth uh, at IAPA this past year. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. It was like a giant air mm -hmm. balloon and they were using either a screen on one side or VR on the, as another option, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something like that where I have the flexibility that even though air balloons and things like that aren't necessarily pirate 
it's a broad enough concept where I can still apply it and it still feels at home. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's what I want my, I guess, my production concept to be. Um, I do want it to have a broad appeal, like I said earlier, uh, with, again, coming back to flexibility. I want it to be something that the whole family can visit together, go through the attractions, watch a dive show, whatever else is in there, and have a good time. Maybe get the photo that somebody has already printed out for them and tries to get them to sell it because I already printed it. You want to buy it, right? Because I already printed it and framed it for you. Yep, there you <laughs> like go. Like they do. Yeah, to have that element of it, but still then, maybe after 9 o'clock, things get a little grittier where, uh, again, not necessarily going to the probably letter of the law existence of pirates and what they did back then, but mm -hmm. things being a, a more energetic atmosphere of maybe not necessarily a nightclub, but a an opportunity to gather and enjoy great atmosphere and themed drinks and that sort of thing as well. Um, but I want that flexibility because I want everybody to be able to come to this FEC that I don't have a name yet for, but uh, it's... <laughs> Something that has is able to cater to different audiences. That's what I want. Well, yeah, I think that's important. I think, you know, again, FEC family entertainment. So you have to have a little bit of something for everyone or be flexible to, to everyone. In terms of the narrative or concept, I think the, the key thing for that, for any concept that I could ideally come up with, and I know this is relatively vague on my end. I don't have as specific or concrete of an idea as the pirate theme in which you just presented to, to everyone um, but ideally I want, when you walk in the door, I want that kind of warm, hospitable feel of like a hotel lobby where, you know, you're coming in and you're about to experience something great with your vacations just starting, or you're getting ready to just relax, have a good time. That kind warm of vibe. Cookies? Oh yeah. Always warm cookies right by okay, the door. Good. <laughs> Even for Santa Claus extra on that day. Um, <laughs> but ideally you, you kind of have that warm homey feel to it, but then it, expands into like this development of you know this concept so if, let's use alba florida the watermelon farm as an example you know in that concept i'm probably going to take that watermelon thing and create a character that doesn't exist yet and give that character an identity i'm going to give that watermelon some type of story that's going to be presented or introduced to you as to why you're even here what's about to happen on the other side of these doors and what you're about to step into and then as that kind of builds up, you step into it and then you have options, right? I like the choose your own adventure kind of thing, or, or the best way I can explain it is, um, virtual magic kingdom. Did you ever play that game online? I did not, but I think I know what you're talking about. Is this the, where like you choose the path and do it? Kind of. So like virtual magic kingdom was essentially like you create a, a little, uh, an avatar and you walk through the magic kingdom park and you only get like the screen size of a section at a time. So you might have the first half of Main Street on your screen, the second half of Main Street, the hub. You can choose to go to one of the themed lands. And then as you go through each area, there might be a shop you can interact with or in a mini game to interact with. There was only few options that you had to interact with, but the whole screen was really well themed. So if you were in like Tomorrowland, you would have the Autopia cars going around, right? And you could have that attraction to interact with. Or you could see a rocket that was kind of slowly guiding off towards where Space Mountain would be. And you could see just the corner of Space Mountain. And you knew if I went that way, I had the Space Mountain option. But there was also like a little shop or something. So having those sections where you kind of can go through them and each one has a little something for you that helps, again, build part of that story and build part of that 
experience as you go is kind of the, the concept. So when you walk in the door, you're introduced to this new thing. What is this? Because, right, I think having an understanding of what this character is, why you're even here, what you can expect is important setting up at the beginning. And then as the guest proceeds through, they're invited to uncover more and they're invited to small snippets so they're not overwhelmed with all of the, uh, the sights, the sounds, the different things that we want to put into the idea and the concept. And that kind of helps guide the storyline in their own way, but in a way in which you can still experience, you know, whatever you want to do first in your own, your own path. I think that's kind of gives that flexibility of like, Hey, if I want to have adult stuff over here and more like younger children's things over here, that guest has that opportunity to kind of select, we're going to go this route first and then come over here. And it's very clearly defined for them, whether it be by rooms or, you know, lighting, signage, colors, whatever it is, something that defines, okay, this thing has started and ended uh, in this box. I think that's a really great way to delineate things where you're still able to serve these different groups of guests that might come to your FEC. Uh, When you were explaining the Magic Kingdom game, I was reminded of a Universal Studios GameCube game where it was a a similar concept to what you were describing, where I think you were Woody Woodpecker or you were somebody else, or maybe Woody Woodpecker was your guide. I'm not sure. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Where you would walk through and go through different scenes of the park, but it would shift to where somewhere you're in Universal Studios, Florida, you keep walking and then suddenly you are in a the the scene that has the covered ceiling um, in Universal Studios Japan, but even then you'd keep walking and suddenly in Universal Studios Hollywood outside of Waterworld. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily realistic, but it was a great way to highlight what the different parks have to offer in the Universal Studios brand and still have fun with the miniature missions as well. So... I hadn't played the Magic Kingdom version, but you've unlocked a memory for me uh, with the uh, Universal core Studios memory, version. Core memories are the best. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so I really like the way that you described delineating that uh, because I think that's very interesting. Uh, are there any real-life examples of locations that are either tourism-based or, or not that you think do something similar to what you're describing? Um. I mean, the best one that I could think of, uh, and yes and no. I, I, so there's a couple ways to think of it. The, the first Dave & Buster's I ever set foot in was one down in Hollywood, Florida. And at first, I didn't understand what I was walking into. I went with my grandparents. They took me for a day trip down there, uh, me and my sister. And when we walked in, the one in Hollywood, it starts with the restaurant. So the restaurant is like front and center in the lobby. That's what it is. But it's got this aesthetic of like an old 90s like pool bar so you got like the hanging down lights with the the green covers that look like they go over pool tables and you've got like you know just the wooden kind of framed tables everything's got that that dark gloss to it it's a little bit low lighting and then um it's got wood wood floors and wood you know sidewalls all the way down so it's kind of like it, it just doesn't feel very youthful or exciting right and along the there's a pathway and the main pathway so you have all these tables to the left, and then on the right side, you had a golf simulator, which was the first entertainment thing you saw, which was like a, basically just the digital screen and people like, you know, hitting with a driver into the screen and then the ball animates and goes farther. That's what you saw. 
until you got to the end of the pathway. At the end of this main pathway was a like neon rainbow light and just said midway. Um, <laughs> and as you passed through it, you know, you got like the red, the yellow, the green and the blue neons that kind of alternate in that order down a little ramp to the main arcade, which then opened up to be a full fledged arcade where there was, you know, you had the bright white lights up in the uh, in the rafters, looking down at the different games. You had the giant play and win signs everywhere here, you know, the big flashing lights from all the different tower games and everything going on from there. And that really was kind of like a definitive line, right? Like, hey, I went from this thing to this thing. That's an extreme example. I think a more moderate example could be something like Disney Quest, where if you recall Disney Quest, where they had um, somewhat of different sections where you had like, you know, you walk into the main room and you got like the stars up above you and you kind of have like the Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster to this side with the elevated ceiling. So you kind of get more of that space and, you know, concept around you. But then on the other side, it's a little bit lower ceilings and it's more of like the Jungle Cruise um, or Pirates, uh, Aladdin flying carpet experiences were all kind of in the same box around one another. Um, that kind of idea of like, hey, this kind of stuff exists in this space and we're going to talk about these things here. And then this thing exists over in this space and we're going to kind of see it here. I think I think that's kind of the two best examples um, that I could think of in real life that kind of bring that together. Actually, there's another one. Hold on. Oh, I just thought okay. of it. Uh, last summer, we took a trip to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and the Ripley's Aquarium has a really good model for kind of choose your own adventure. You walk in, you can kind of see the different variety of places you could go, and each area that they present of the aquarium kind of tells its own story. So, like, the first one we walked into was, like, this Seven Seas stories, which was about a little bit like the pirate theme and like the, the Kraken. So as you walked around, you know, you had giant Kraken arms sticking out of the walls and weird angles until you got to the main room where you saw the Kraken's head. You had pirate costumes everywhere and on the walls, they had little painted scriptures or posted scriptures of pirate facts or pirate history that kind of, as you walked through the room, told that story for pirates. And then once you came out of it, you were back in the main lobby where you're like, okay, it's aquarium. And then you could say, oh, look, here's the penguin exhibit you walk in there and the same thing proceeds right you got a little stone penguins it feels a little bit cooler with the paint they use on the walls to give it that arctic vibe they change the lighting levels so that way you get a different experience you see different things with a different story and you kind of walk through that story come back out to the main lobby and now you're okay it's aquarium again so that's actually probably the best example i could come up with yeah that helps me to to really envision in my head what you're thinking of with that and I, I look forward to hearing more about it as we go through these different topics. Uh, for attractions and games, these are the things that will be bringing in people to the FEC. This is maybe what you'd put on the billboard, what you'd put on the souvenir cup if we have a souvenir cup or something like that. Um, and I, I think it's important for a lot of FECs to have not only games, of course, I think games is often the bread and butter. It brings in a steady stream of income a lot of times of people playing through these games, be it pinball or uh, a more modern game like a Crossy Road is a pretty big one too. Even Nerf is getting <laughs> Piano in. tiles. Yes, yes. These are the actual games that <laughs> people just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And so they can have those, but also I think what separates a lot of FECs that we hear about are them having real bona fide experiences and attractions that are either unique to them or 
special in that they bring in people specifically for that, and then they stay for everything else as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so for my pirate FEC-style concept thing, I have a couple of ideas, and I don't know yet which would make the final cut if I were bringing this to an architect and saying, find a space to put it, but let me run through them now and see what you think. Um, first, I think of a submarine ocean simulator ride. Um, and again, this is drawing from the flexibility that I wanted with the surrealism of Jules Verne, uh, but not necessarily 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I want it to be its own story, its own concept. Uh, but to be a simulator that is controllable to an extent, uh, like Star Wars Smuggler's Run, um, at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. My catch, though, is I can't figure out why we are having our guests go into these submarines to go somewhere under the ocean. Are they going to find sunken treasure? Are they going to fight the Kraken? Are they looking for people? Maybe it's either or. Maybe it's something where they can choose to explore where they want to go. Uh, but I think that that is something that, while it might be low capacity in terms of uh, putting uh, people through there in an hour, I think it would be something that's special because outside of, again, Disney, I don't think there is a motion simulator style attraction that you can control your path that you go through. Um, it'd probably be incredibly expensive to create a design and create the video renderings for it. But like we said, money is no option. Right, and I don't. I don't think that's too far fetched. I mean, I think of like think of video games. I think it is Mario Party that has the game where you kind of have to canoe on like a UE. You have to canoe down a river, but the river kind of branches off from the main line to two lines. You have a choice: but go left or right, and then it gives you that option again of left or right, and then it gives you an option again to go left or right. And I think like for a fourth time, so there's like 16 or 32 different paths you can take throughout this game. Um, and one of the goals in the game is to eventually go down every path, but that creates that repeat, you know, draw to the attraction of saying like, Hey, I went down the all left paths the first time we rode this and we got to see, you know, Blackbeard's treasure. Um, and we got to fight a Kraken in scene two. Well, you come back you go down all the right paths and it turns out, you know, you end up finding a lost Island with just buried treasure and you come across a sword fight between a couple pirates or you go down a, a pirate ship cannon battle, you know, there's, I think that gives you a lot of options to really expand your story. And, and absolutely, I think it's a fantastic concept, a fantastic idea. Um, and it gives you a chance to find someone, if you know, not yourself who, who has a creative mind in that storyline to kind of paint that picture yeah. for all those different channels. But I think that's the, probably the best attraction style or, um, attraction type to use to maybe communicate that story through. Yeah, so let's let's make that the e-ticket e attraction, to borrow the term from Disney. Uh, that is what is going to be on the billboards, maybe. Uh, something that is really going to be the anchor attraction for the FEC. Uh, but even so, I still want to round out the offerings with a couple other things, too. I couldn't shake the idea of a dive show, because I know that there is a lot of different versions of this. I think there's 
I don't know what it is with Midwestern parks, but they love their dive shows. The people just, they pack in the the outdoor amphitheater to see these dive shows. I think Holiday World has a pretty popular one. Um, There are a couple other parks as well where I I hear about these dive shows that bring in a ton of people to see them. And I guess uh, even Waterworld, to bring that up in California, it's not the Midwest, but that is another example of a stunt show that has a lot of diving elements, and it's incredible to see. So why don't we also include some stunts in it, too, and make it a really story-based show with diving and stunts? Maybe, I mean, if money is no object, let's make it on the scale of Waterworld, Universal Studios Hollywood. Max, have you seen Waterworld yet? I have not. No, I haven't made it out to Hollywood to go see it yet. It's on the to-do list, though. It's really something. I did not think that I liked stunt shows before that because I'd see like the the Batman stunt show at a Six Flags Park or the Wild West stunt show at Knott's Berry Farm. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, It's not something I go out of my way to see, but Waterworld is an incredible attraction. And to bring even a a piece of that into a show in this FEC, this pirate-themed experience, I think that could be um, really nice. I think that could be a good fit. And, And why not make it a dinner theater where people are able to eat their meal while they're enjoying the show? Um, would you do maybe, a lunch version also? Yes. Now tell me this in Florida. Is there already a pirate dinner theater? There is, there is one on, I believe it's international drive. Okay, so I'm either going to have to scrap this idea or do it so much better than them that it's There's able to There's also another one in Myrtle Beach as well that we did see. It was a, a Dolly Parton production was the one that we saw up in um, Myrtle Beach near their like, opera theater area. I forget huh. what exactly what it was. The building was called, but it was in a very big, right next to the like Myrtle Beach Opera, there was a pirate dinner show that we experienced as well which was really cool it had stunts it had acrobatics it had um some sword fighting it was a very entertaining show and it was cool because the audience engagement was you know like one side was the for the crimson captain the other (laughs) ones for the sapphire captain and so it kind of created that audience engagement as well okay so i am and I am heartened by the fact that this has been done before, uh, but I guess we're really going to have to make it something well, special. Well, hold on, hold on. It doesn't what? not right. It can be special. It can still be done. And I mean, think about an FEC though. An FEC is not as huge of a space unless you plan on making this a ginormous space, as like a Waterworld show would be, or even as a dedicated theater to these specific stunts is. But does there are other ways of I think incorporating it in terms of the Do you remember a couple of years ago, this is not a couple of years ago, it was a while ago, in Hollywood Studios, they had a Pirates of the Caribbean themed interactive show. I've heard about it. I have not experienced it myself. So this was really cool. This was a very small attraction footprint that um, I remember always had a a little bit of a line for, but it was worth it. I only did it one time, so my memory is not going to be perfectly crystal clear on this, but you walked into a room that looked like the entrance of like a cave cavern and you interacted with this animated pirate um, who was taking you on this adventure to, I think, uh, Jack Sparrow's treasure, Jack Sparrow's secret hidden space or whatever. And the show is kind of similar to like an Ollivander's experience where you have that kind of 
small interaction. The room still had a lot of thematic elements to it, and there was still an engagement piece and still a performance piece involved in terms of cast members having to, you know, hold up a sword or display something like a Poseidon's Fury style in which, you know, they are still interacting with the space and you as the guest are in the physical space interacting with it, navigating the show by either yelling commands or doing a gesture, something like that, and it kind of walks you through. I think that could be a unique way to present something like this in the space that's most commonly associated with an FEC that could still get the job done. I don't know if you could serve dinner or lunch with it in that concept, but that doesn't mean you can't try. Well, maybe we could at least sell popcorn or pickles on a stick or something like that. There you go. Now Um. you're talking. (laughs) Some good old-fashioned pirate food fresh out of the sea. Yeah, where if it's not a whole dinner service, which would have people sitting down for a while and, of course, not out there experiencing the rest of it, um, we're still bringing them into an attraction in that sense and uh, giving them something maybe over the course of 15 to 20 minutes, maybe? Who knows? Uh, Something Mm -hmm. like that. To be able to bring that entertainment, live entertainment element to the FEC. Uh, so I think that's something that could definitely be a complimentary attraction to the submarine ocean simulator. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I think of flat rides. I mean, how could you go wrong with adding a couple flat rides? If it's good enough for Magic Kingdom to put in a couple rides of essentially the same thing with Dumbo <laughs> and the flying carpets of Aladdin <laughs> yeah. and the Astral Orbiter. Why but not? they still command these huge lines. So why don't I add a couple of those that are well-themed, well-housed, um, maybe make it a Zamperla disco where it's sort of like that half pipe, but you're spinning at the same time. Um, I know uh, I've said it a lot when DJ and I have our Planet Park episodes where we try to determine the future of a park if we had control, uh, but I always feel like I want to add a Grislauer Sky Roller where it's that attraction that you have the fins on each yeah. side of your ride vehicle. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you go around and you're able to either manipulate the fins up or down. And if you do it right, you'll flip yourself, you'll invert yourself while the ride is moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think something like that could be really well-themed in a pirate, but again, more fantastical element in experience of uh, that. I think if I even put that indoors, that could be something really cool. Maybe with projection mapping, maybe just with intelligent lighting, I think that could create a, a very special experience as well. And uh, I guess as a, something to, to finish off the ride conversation here, I feel like uh, every FEC, if they don't already have it, they're soon going to have an SBF Visa spinner. Um, why don't I add one too? <laughs> Let's say there you go. We'll, we'll earmark two to three million and then we'll put an SBF Visa spinner uh, <laughs> in a box somewhere and we'll theme it up too, dress it up nice and it'll be something for the kids. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I was thinking of like small dark rides, like a miniature version of Transformers or something like, um, I think Hershey Park has like a uh, pandemic, what is it? It's like a dark ride, um, a shooter game. Am yeah. I making that up, or is there something? They have something like that, right? They have a uh, Reese's Cup Fusion. Yes, which is, that's uh, yeah, something like that, like a very small, downsized version that you know you could have an attraction like that. I think that is kind of the e-ticket thing I'd probably have in one of mine, or you know, a small coaster or something that makes sense with whatever story you're trying to tell within the within the FEC concept. Um, for me, though, 
I've always wanted to take this idea of taking the, the classic arcade games that we play, you know, whether it's that deal or no deal, Wheel of Fortune, your um, Daytona USA racing games, your, uh, you know, coin slot games, uh, basketball hoop shooters, Jurassic Park shooters. You know, I want to just take the actual game itself and just build it out into its own thematic space. Like Jurassic Park has a game. It's like a sitting on a bench game. It's kind of a, in, a, in a closed box. It's a screen. Mm-hmm. You have the two mounted guns. It's very popular. You see it everywhere. But why not take that game and expand it out to be in a space in your FEC that's surrounded by like foliage and maybe takes place in an actual Jeep or a, a Jeep sized vehicle, not just the game box in which it comes in. Obviously, that's a joint effort between the game manufacturers and yourself. And obviously, again, it's going to cost extra to include. But why not take something so just traditional and classic and really immerse it in hey, you're not just playing Jurassic Park the game, but you're now in Jurassic Park the game. Um, you know, I think when they have all those Daytona USA racing simulations or Mario Kart games right next to each other all lined up along the wall, why not theme that wall to look like a racetrack or to, you know, put it on something that looks like the pit lane or inside of an actual race car, which I've seen before. And, you know, you have the simulator inside the car. Obviously, it turns the game turnover a little bit because now you got to claw crawl in or crawl out. So, you know, pick and choose your clients based on where you're putting this thing. But I've always wanted to just take the game and give it its own space. Like why basketball hoop shooter shooter games are not on a basketball court blows my mind. There was a a restaurant in Boca Raton we used to go to called Wilt Chamberlain's um, themed after the famous basketball player. And it had, you know, it was a restaurant primarily, but it had a small selection of arcade games. But the real cool thing about it was it had an enclosed basketball court um, behind a giant glass wall and a glass door. You could walk in there. They had balls. They had a hoop with a scoreboard and all that. And I always thought that was so cool and so fun to be like, hey, I'm not just, you know, shooting basketballs into an arcade game, but I am on a basketball court that is lit like a basketball court with a basketball court floor and a regulation hoop. And I'm getting to throw, you know, NBA balls into this hoop. That to me was exciting. That to me was different. That was fun. And so why not take the games that exist as they are and just find a way to build out the space around them to be a little bit more encapsulating, I guess, if that's the right word, or, or um, bring people more into those gaming experiences, especially the ones that take a long time, like the shooters where you're sitting there for maybe a minute and a half or two minutes, or the um, the coin drop ones where like the Wizard of Oz or whatever, you're going to sit there and people are going to play for a long, long time, like they're at the casino, building those spaces out a little bit more, I think is going to completely change the game in terms of the arcade, typical arcade uh, experience. Um, So that's something I would probably include in mine um, to some degree, in addition to, you know, a new, uh, a new type of attraction, a new type of um, experience that tells whatever story we're telling in the FEC, but in a very small and very condensed way that gives people a chance to quickly experience it and then get back out into the game and decide if they want to come and experience it again. Yeah, I really like how you you go into what can make these games, like Jurassic Park, like the basketball hoop midway game, something that is... Everybody does. It seems like everybody has a Jurassic Park game, uh, but how can you make that more? How can you make that memorable and special? And uh, I, I think that's a great way to 
capitalize on what you know is a success. People love playing these games. They love shooting hoops. How can we make that more experiential and more immersive? And I think those are some uh, great examples that you gave there too. You, yes? Oh, I was going to say, I have just another thought about that too. So at Disney Quest, they used to have the, like, you know, those multiplayer co-op games, yeah. um, the the ones like the Mighty Ducks pinball or like at the exit admission space, they have that interactive game where you have two people up on the thing doing one thing and everyone else is doing something else for the ships, stuff like that, bringing those type of games into the experience where it can be one person by themselves or, you know, 16 people all engaged in the same game and it'd be in a unique concept, I think is a really unique type of attraction that. You can consider an attraction, but also an arcade game in terms of how they, I guess, buy in or log into it um, that I think would also enhance the experience. Because if you think about Disney Quest and like those type of attractions, they were unique. They were different. You know, you were somewhat playing together, but also as an individual to try to earn your own high score. And just the concepts that you can do in that kind of manner of like a group of people working to, I don't know, maybe... Maybe in yours concept, it's all these people, you know, firing cannons at the same time at a big digital screen of another pirate ship attack. And it's like a group thing where you can see your score. But did the group beat the enemy pirate ship and as a as a collective defeat them? You know, like that kind of an idea, I think, would be really unique to bring into these stories and have that arcade element with that attraction blend that gives people something to come back and do. Yeah, I think that. Well, first off, I never went to Disney Quest, and you're making it seem like I missed oh. out on something oh, really man. special. So that hurts. But I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. Uh, second off, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I had a couple notes about like a a pirate battle game, whether that was VR, whether it was AR, or something in between. I think that there could be something really special in having this sit the set of a pirate deck with cannons that you can manipulate and then either facing a screen or something else and battling another ship. Um, I, I think there could really be something there to that too. Um, I, I, when I think to games now too, I, my mind goes to the classic Midway games, which have been around for hundreds of years, it seems like, knocking over the milk cartons or uh, breaking a plate, something like that. I think those could lend themselves well to a pirate environment as well. Uh, maybe along the harbor, maybe we get a sort of like a, a boardwalk theme, but it's a pirate harbor and they have the games there too, um, of people hawking their wares, that sort of thing. Um, I think there is something there too. Maybe... Of course, having it in an indoor environment, maybe nighttime, there might even be some water elements too, where you look down over the ledge and that's water. That's water right there. We are outside um, along the dock. And, and here are these Midway games that are here for us to enjoy while we're exploring the dock, while we're here on this excursion. Um, uh, that right there unlocks not the, the, the key, I think. The key to be making this successful is not the game itself how you present the game. You yeah. know, you're taking the extra mile. It's, it's knocking down cans. Anybody can do that. I can do that in my house on a, on a windowsill if I really wanted to. But if I'm taking it and I'm going to create some type of special effect to make you think you're on a harbor and there's maybe some wind gusts coming by and the sounds of seagulls playing in the background and you look down over the ledge and you have this illusion of a flowing waterway beneath you or the ocean waves 
kind of knocking along the thing, however you choose to present that, it's not about that game. It's about that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be a, a nice element to it to be an attraction itself, even though it is something that has been done before, still making it more and making it uh, an integral part of the pirate FEC experience. So, yeah, so those were our attractions and games that we'd be including in our concepts to bring the people in. But while they're here, they've got to have something to eat, both to spend that money on the food, to bring that money in, but also creating the whole experience. So for me, I just wrote down a couple of ideas of pirate-themed and beyond um, concepts. And of course, the first thing I thought of was Kraken Bar. Uh, now, not necessarily a tiki bar, because I think tiki is done by a lot of people. It might be overdone in some places. Who knows? But uh, taking that concept of an immersive bar experience where it is a, a well-designed, dingy, yet comfortable place to be in, um, and you have the drinks that come with special effects, maybe um, imaginative cast members that are able to create the experience as well. Maybe even tie in a couple of storylines in the bar. I don't know if I'd want to go as far as something like the Galactic Star Cruiser where you have to follow the story to do this and do that. I don't know if I'd go that far, but still adding elements for people to follow where they're able to read into the story, the characters about who they are, why they're here, what they've seen before. They're barkeeps at this pirate establishment. Surely they've seen a lot and they could tell you a lot, uh, but including that in there to build out the immersive environment in the Kraken bar. Uh, now a couple of uh, less imaginative things, but still fun. Davy Jones Locker. <laughs> I don't exactly know the origins of Davy Jones Locker, but what's a locker but a freezer where you could have frozen treats and drinks. So this could be not a whole bona fide uh, food and beverage location, but something like Fat Tuesdays at City Walk, where you can go in, get your frozen drinks, and then be on your way uh, in the rest of the area. Uh, it's right next to Patio, Pat O'Brien's, so uh, it, it ties in with that theme as well, too. Uh, but having it as Davy Jones Locker, and maybe uh, Davy Jones is there with you as well. Who knows? But uh, something like that to vary up the offerings, make it feel more like a resort where there are different elements of the experience, where if you are spending multiple time, multiple visits here, multiple days, you can go from different locations and not look at the same menu twice, I think. I'm uh, looking at full service because I think full service might have a place here. Again, it would have people sitting down for uh, up to an hour as well, but having something like the captain's table, which is, I guess, maybe the more upscale option of uh, dinner at there in a well-designed environment. I, I think there could be something there as well. If not full dinner theater, still having theater elements to it to keep the entertainment flowing, that themed entertainment. Um, and then, of course, got to have quick service too. Uh, so maybe something simply called the galley, which is just a quick service, American, Caribbean, Cuban, that sort of thing where we have things that are both familiar to the audience that is visiting, but also something that could be new to them as well. Something that would challenge their perception of what they are familiar with. Uh, I don't know about pirate foods, but thinking about New Orleans Square at Disneyland, where they have 
Cajun food, and that's delicious. It's incredible. Bringing some of that, but making it more, where you're able to um, try new dishes that maybe you weren't very familiar with um, in terms of both Florida and with what you eat in general. So I think there is something there to providing the chicken tenders and fries because you got to have chicken tenders and fries to <laughs> feed the picky eaters. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, with but, the cheese fries option always. Yes, yes, but also having things like a, a Cuban sandwich or a panini even or uh, I love those sourdough bread bowls at Panera, <laughs> a sourdough bread bowl with maybe a, a nice Cajun soup in there or a, a boil even. Uh, when I mm. went to Mardi Gras Universal, they had a, a shrimp and crawdad boil. It was oh, incredible. Yeah. So things like that that are both familiar and unfamiliar that people are able to try and then both offering versions of that in a full service environment for a little bit more of a premium, but also the quick service environment too, so people can figure out what level of dining experience matches what the experience they're going for and then going for it. I personally am not a big food and beverage person. I don't know a lot about that business. I don't really have ambitions for it. I've always said, oh, I'm just going to throw a Taco Bell and a Chick-fil-A as a drive through option in whatever I build, and that's how it's going to be. Um, but after hearing you kind of talk about it, I think, you know, my brain's turning now. Like, okay, what's going to make the most sense, right? Like, obviously for the watermelon thing, it's going to be a lot of watermelon-based stuff. But I think yeah. when I think of an arcade, the quick grab, the hand food, sliders, chicken fingers, fries, all that all makes sense. But then I think about, like, Andretti Indoor Karting and Gaming here in Orlando, where they have a full-service scratch kitchen and uh, – available with like full service seating, you know, a, a waiter or waitress comes up to your table, takes your order, the kitchen makes the food and brings it out. Thinking practically, you know, do you want that much space in your FEC taken up by an actual kitchen to be able to produce something high quality and a very immersed dining experience? I think dining experiences are definitely fun and can definitely be exciting to favor what you're serving and how you present your concept. I don't know if that is something I see in mind per se, as much as just the quick service grab, because I don't want to become a restaurant. I don't want to become just you coming for the restaurant and then go. Now, granted, Walt Chamberlain's was a restaurant that had arcade games. Pete um, Pete Rose was another restaurant that had uh, arcade games. Dave & Buster's ideally is a restaurant with arcade games. Chuck E. Cheese, you can make the argument for all of them that they all have food, and it's an important piece to that puzzle, and I agree that that piece is, is important. For me, it's more still separated as its own thing, and it's something that I don't want to spend a lot of my time focused on, at least in this current moment in time in terms of this discussion of saying like, hey, like this is what we need. Now, if I go to a community, let, let's just use Alva, for example, and there's no restaurants anywhere. There's It's all McDonald's drive-thrus, Wendy's, Burger Kings. There's no real dining establishments. There's no fancy you know, Ruth Chris's or anything like that that just happens to exist. Then maybe that's an opportunity to say, hey, this now becomes an attraction, right? Now the restaurant is an attraction worth having and how you present that is worth putting the money towards. Um, but I don't really have a good concept to, to be completely honest with you. I think I would want to keep it keep it simple, you know, easy to, easy to grab, easy to kind of clean up with, something that doesn't require a whole lot of prep time and for like the events, right? Because I think I'm going to have that entertainment center for like theater and performances over here you know, including maybe something a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say upscale, but maybe something where like if the group performing had a vendor for catering they wanted to bring in, 
that there would be supplies available for catering to come in and keep food hot and keep it prepped and present it nicely during a more formal event like a like a band concert um, or a play that were to take place in the FEC. Yeah, I think that food can definitely serve a purpose in letting people stay longer, increase spending. Um, and I think it'll definitely depend on the venue and what they're trying to accomplish with their culinary involvement. Uh, there are no doubt FEC's bowling alleys that have food there because they got to have food there to make it a um, something that people can really spend time and visit and gather with. Uh, but there are also other locations that are on the other end of the spectrum where they do make it more of an experience as well. And I think it's different strokes for different folks as well uh, oh, yeah. with that too. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And I mean, you can even do small things, I think, you know, just sometimes like a small food trucks coming out mm -hmm. and just being around, I think would be another easy outlet to not have to necessarily keep something locked into the establishment, but available. Yeah. I'm, I just was reminded of entertainment, how this was maybe more of a trend 20, 30 years ago, but I, I, I hear I don't stories at all. Well, I hear stories of stuff like themed restaurants, some of which have stayed around, like the Rainforest Cafe. Okay. But I remember hearing something about a submarine-themed sandwich restaurant by Steven Spielberg in L.A. or something else, where huh. it was submarine-themed. And <laughs> there are some great YouTube videos out there, and if you want to go down the rabbit hole and look at what used to be. Um, Planet Hollywood, some of them have survived, of course. I think that's the same concept where it is themed entertainment in a dining environment. Hard Rock Cafe could fit into that as well. Um, but there used to be a, a lot more, and some of these were very strange concepts that were in a lot of major tourist or urban areas where a lot of people were coming through. Bubba Gump Shrimp is another example of that as well. And a lot of them were a flash in the pan. They were not connected to any other attraction. They were simply just a themed restaurant experience in like 2003, and then they closed in 2004, huh. something like that. Uh, so I think it's interesting to see what has been attempted before, what failed, what succeeded. Um, I think a lot of times for these concepts, it, it, it helps to have a built-in customer base, like with uh, the Rainforest Cafe, a lot of them were in malls or uh, in, in Disney. There's one both at Disney Springs and Animal Kingdom, I think, where you automatically have a, um, a crop of guests to attract from. So I, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going from this, but I, I just think <laughs> it's interesting. I was reminded of what you were saying about this entertainment trend from 20 or 30 years ago and where it is now, where there are still a couple holdovers, um, but a lot of them didn't work. It's interesting to think about, and I guess some of that plays into what I'm considering with my concept here, where I want to have a full-service element to it, but full-service and theme park, if we're talking about theme parks, doesn't often mix. If you go to... Regional parks, there are a lot of parks like Busch Gardens, Williamsburg, that have attempted a full-service concept two or three times throughout the years. I don't know 
how many times they've attempted it, but it just doesn't work because if people are at a theme park that is maybe a regional park, they're not spending as long a time there. So if you dedicate an hour plus of their time to sitting in a table, it might not make as much financial sense and it might not match what the guest is looking to do when they're there. If they are in a restaurant sitting at that table, they are not waiting in line or checking out a gift shop or something else like that. Here's what I would say. I would say I think the ideal culinary experience within an FEC would be something that gives you the rest of like walking around and standing up at the games, right? It gives you a chance to sit and just enjoy some quick food, but it should be quick food that keeps you while you have an entertaining experience. So what I mean by this is the examples I have are um, the Pinocchio Village House in Magic Kingdom. Those big windows that directly overlook the It's a Small World attraction where people can constantly wave to you and you point down to them. That was always so fun for me as a kid. I don't know why. Just waving to people down in boats and being on a boat, waving up to people eating a sandwich of peanut butter and jelly and crustable. Like, that was, to me, so much fun and provides so much entertainment. Andretti Indoor Karting here has a the Skytop bar that serves some of the quick service items from the restaurant. But right, you can literally sit right next to giant glass panes that overlook the racetrack. So you can sit there and watch people zip by on go-karts racing past you while you enjoy this thing. And I think, to me, having that visibility to the activities while I'm enjoying food, it kind of like the, the kid mindset is like, I got to eat this quick. I want to get through this food quick and get back to where the fun is, you know, or I want to observe maybe something that I'm not sure I want to do yet and have a visibility to it while I'm kind of eating and thinking about it to decide if maybe later I want to get down there and actually play that game or, or participate in that type of attraction. I think that is always cool to me. I mean, the purest example of this is when I was in Rosen college, there was a Dunkin' Donuts right across the street from Rosen. I went there often, but there were some times I didn't want just to go to Dunkin' and then sit there and drink coffee. I would drive to the Starbucks that was across the street from SeaWorld because from the window, you could see Kraken. You could see Mako actively running, and it was enjoyable for me just to sit there and enjoy my coffee with the roller coasters in the background kind of just doing their thing across the street. So I think that to me is something where like, you know, if I'm thinking of your pirate concept, maybe there is that large scale pirate ship where like a game is happening in the lower level where people are interacting with some sort. But on the upper level, you have that quick service bar, that quick service food that you can sit and look down and watch people play in the lower mm -hmm. level of the pirate ship kind of kind of aesthetic. I think that stuff sounds like something I would consider tying into the elements of what is already present in the FEC. Yeah, I think that's a balance to be struck there where you're still having an opportunity, if it is a full service establishment, to allow them to, if they want it to be a reprieve from where their adventure takes them, they're able to enjoy that. But if they want to still sort of be in the action, in the environment, there's enough of that element there, either visually, audibly, or whatever else, that is still keeping the people in their adventure and their themed environment there. Um, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this yet, but a great example of that is the Blue Bayou restaurant at Disneyland. Uh, are you familiar with that? No. What is, where, where is that at? It's uh, in New Orleans Square, of course. It's a, a beautiful restaurant um, with these lanterns overhead. It's a, a nighttime environment because you're indoors, but you're along the water line 
which is the beginning of Pirates of the Caribbean, where the boats dispatch, you go through this bayou scene where mm-hmm. there is a, a couple of different show elements there. There's a, someone strumming on a banjo uh, right before you go into a room that later has the first drop there. Um, but it sets the scene for where your adventure begins in Pirates of the Caribbean, where you are in uh, the New Orleans area. You are going through this. You see the Spanish moss hanging over. And when you look over to your right, you see the dining room for the Blue Bayou, which looks like an open air establishment. It just looks like they're sitting out on this patio um, at night with the Spanish moss hanging overhead and the lanterns as well, creating that atmosphere. But you are, of course, inside in a controlled environment. So to create that, there's that synergy going on between the restaurant where you can see the boats meander by as they're just beginning their journey, where you know what's in store for them and they know too most of the time because they've ridden it before. It's, it's really cool to see because you are able to enjoy your food at the Blue Bayou. It's a very good, very expensive restaurant. Uh, <laughs> but you get to watch the beginning of Pirates of the Caribbean every couple seconds when they're dispatching those boats. But it's still uncannily quiet and I don't know how they do it because there's both there's water in there that is a reflective surface with sound but it's also indoors but it's still so strangely quiet and I don't think it's that people are keeping their voices down or if they are it's because it's already so quiet that they feel that the need to naturally talk in a lower tone or use their indoor voices but it's incredible. And you, you get this both when you're riding Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland and when you're dining at the Blue Bayou. You see all of these people just a couple feet away in their patio area, but it's, it's very hushed. It's muted. And I don't know how they achieve that effect, uh, but it's incredible to both be in that environment from both of the sides and enjoy it, either when you're biting into your Monte Cristo sandwich or when you're about to go down the first drop of Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, So I think that is probably a best practice for what I'm trying to describe, what we're trying to get our our head around here. Um, So maybe just taking a photocopy of that and putting that in the restaurant. Yeah, no, that Uh, makes perfect sense. Changing it enough so the teacher says we didn't copy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking, as you're yeah. explaining that, I'm thinking of the Mexico Pavilion at Epcot as another probably really great example, or the Garden Grill that overlooks Living with the Land. With just those words alone, I know a few of your listeners just eye-rolled at me, but Living with the Land, <laughs> I'll say it again, because why not plug one of the greatest attractions of all time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I went to Epcot just recently, my first attraction there was Living with the Land. I rope dropped oh, it. What an experience. What an mm-hmm. experience. Good for you. That's so amazing. I think there there is real potential out there to creating meaningful dining experiences of varying degrees of service to, to match what people are looking for. Let's move on to the final category here of our discussion for our FEC concepts, which we're going to call the wow factor. This is what is going to set us apart. What are we going to do here that someone else hasn't already done or that someone else can't easily replicate? How are we going to elevate the experience to be more than just a commodity? How is it going to be something that is special enough and differentiated enough that we have enough customers to be happy for a very long time? I was going to say, that's a a steep challenge, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. 
the leadership side of me wants to say, you know, it comes down to people who you put in there to run this facility, who buy into that concept and the, you know, vendors and different manufacturers you have who help you bring these concepts, these lofty ideas to, to life within the reality of the world or even the not real world, uh, I think are still important because that's going to help dictate, you know, like arcade games. The worst thing that happened in an arcade game is you see a bunch of games in a row or scattered around that don't out of service, you know, or don't work or, Hey, it didn't give me tickets or whatever it is. Those minimizing those things, I think are the biggest, um, hurdles to any FEC. But, I, I, I don't know if that's what you're necessarily talking about when, when you say your wow factor. So I want to hear what is, what is your wow factor for this pirate concept that you created? So I can have a better idea of what I would do for mine. Well, I think that quality of service and company culture is something that you can build on, something that allows you to create an experience that is of a high enough quality that people come back and they want to spend as much time as possible there. Um, so I think that that qualifies as a wow factor as well. It's not where my mind went initially, but it definitely qualifies as well. And I definitely appreciate that thought there too. Where I was going was a big pirate ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and I know that if you go down the Strip in Branson or Pigeon Forge or even on Orlando 2 down I-Drive or Vegas, there are all of these kitschy paper mache structures of King Kong climbing a, the Eiffel, not the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building. <laughs> of Pigeon Forge is an incredible example of it because it's just one after the other after the other of these deformed sculptures that people have built to bring in the tourists where people crane their neck and say, what is that? I need to go there to see what that is. Meanwhile, it's a wax museum, um, which is fine. And it can be a good time too, but um, you can tell what they're doing when they create these incredible facades that bring people in so that then they have to go and see what it is you're cooking over there at that attraction. So for me, I imagine this FEC, if not being near the center of iDrive or something like that, being close enough to it that it's still going to get a lot of roadside traffic. And I want to play the I want to play their game. I want to play the game of the wax museum that's building this huge Mount Rushmore model, but it's cartoon characters on it. Mm. Or that big wizard shop in Orlando with that yes. wizard facade. The giant staff. I want to play their game and I want to elevate it so that there is this huge pirate ship. And I think in Branson and Pigeon Forge, they do have uh, the Titanic experience where they have a model of the Titanic, or at least the first half of it, that has water in front of it. And the water has a movement so that it's breaking against the hull of the ship to imply motion like the ship is sailing through that water. Um, I, I want to have something like that where now I, I haven't been to Vegas, but I think treasure Island might've had something similar where they have a pirate ship or something like that. If not that uh, casino and hotel, something similar, but I, I want to find a way to make it more. And so I definitely welcome your thoughts here. My mind goes to big pirate ship with, the realistic ropes and pulleys and the sails that go through. 
but I, and I don't know how to make it more. So if you have any ideas, let me know. But I want it to be something that is visually striking, but also unique at the same time. When I think of, in your concept, this big pirate ship, right? And the wow part of it. I think of the special events you can host and different moments. And, and there's a couple different ways we can go with this. But let's just let's use rope drop as an example, right? Rope drop for uh, the opening of a park. Opening rope drop could be a giant cannon salute where the cannons blast. You know, you have actual pyro coming out of this ship, not pointed at anything, obviously, but just something that's going to ring the bells and say, good morning, we're here, I drive, get ready, we're taking over. Um, <laughs> for something like, you know, a birthday party or something a little bit smaller, maybe to bring that guest to this really special moment that they're just going to never forget. I'm going to preface this with a story because I like to tell weird stories. One of my birthdays was at a movie theater um, as a kid growing up. I had a birthday in a movie theater. And the cool part about it was, you know, we got to do a couple things. Like it was just us in the theater. They set up tables in the lobby. We had, you know, we ser I served candy to my friends and all that stuff from behind the counter, you know, like an employee. And then the coolest thing was I got to start the movie by going Ooh. up with an employee to the projector room and seeing he like talked to me about like how it all worked and how the film gets loaded up. And I got to push the start button to let it go. So what if in the sense of this pirate ship for whoever's birthday it is, you know, or whoever guest of the day, however you want to phrase it, they get to pull a rope that drops the mast and lets the big sail out on the boat that says <laughs> we're open or like, hey, we're, we're here. You know, think about a photo op on top of the, the crow's nest um, of that person being at the highest point in the facility to get a big overlook of everything and only, you know, one or two people go up there a day, or it's just something very exclusive, something special, something that it draws your attention. It makes you wonder. It doesn't, it makes people, you know, who don't like the spotlight kind of go, eh, not me, but kind of give people that, no, that's cool. I want that. I want to be a part of that. How do we, how does that happen every day? And, and figure out what that looks like. Yeah. That first family experience where they're, they're the ones that get pulled up onto the parade float or something like that, or yeah. they, <laughs> I think that's a, a great way to find that balance because, of course, that family, that kid that gets to pull the the mainsail, that is surely going to be a great memory for them. They are hopefully going to come back and, and try to angle for that experience again or something like that. Maybe it's a paid experience. Maybe it isn't. Um, but I, I like the sound of that so that we get, again, now I'm thinking of the the poop deck or whatever you call it, the deck of the ship. That would be an incredible. I don't know if guests would come back if you made them swab the poop deck, Chris, as fun as that sounds, oh, as much as I'm very thankful we both got to say poop deck on this podcast today. I don't know if that's the yeah. best selling point. I think that could be a real event space though. If Absolutely. we have a realistic pirate deck, even if it's not attached to a ship, maybe it is, maybe this idea is evolving, but to have that, large deck that could host both birthday parties, weddings, I think could be something very mm. big. If I have that very well manicured and, and glossy wood all along it, uh, the fancy railings, and um, hopefully not a couple other attractions from iDrive in the background, we'd have to worry about sight lines with this. But yeah. 
creating that as an event space where companies can come and rent it out and have meetings there. We could put awnings up there, maybe design the sails to be shade somewhat. Uh, I'm not sure how that would be accomplished yet, but uh, we'd leave that to our designers to figure that out. Of course, money is no object here in this concept, Mm -hmm. so I won't let that hamper this idea. But both to have the, the large ideas, the weddings, the large events, but also being able to host birthdays there too, because then you have the birthday parties coming to spend money in the restaurant as well. You get the food and beverage element of that. Um, games, you give them a game card and say you have $15 loaded on this. You can, of course, reload it if you'd like to keep playing. Um, and then that continues on. I think that having a hyper-themed, immersive event space could be something to really set this apart. And I think that could definitely be another wow factor as well. For my concept, the wow factor, it's a little bit challenging to define without a theater concept in mind because I have a variety of ideas in my head of what wow could be. So earlier on, I was talking about the community, right, and how it's built around the community. So let's go back to location. If this location is right next to like a government building or maybe like a power plant or like a recycling center, something that ties into giving back to the community in a positive manner. So maybe it's the whole facility is powered by solar panels. You know, going green, right? Thinking along the terms of of a better tomorrow, a better world for everybody, and being able to do something within our day-to-day operations, whether we sort recycling or we get really creative um, in, you know, how we're tied into whatever our community is known for, right? Hey, we're not just going to talk about the watermelons. But you as a tourist can come by and get authentic watermelons from our town that we're going to have here in the in the thing. Maybe you turn in a couple of arcade tickets for one or you can just purchase it like a gift shop kind of idea. Something that returns back to the community. So at the end of the day, someone walks out of there with something that reminds them of this. Um, that to me is one way to focus on it. Now, that might be boring to some people. That's not like the big wow experience on the pirate ship. But then you still have that wow for the community, that wow for what you're doing for an economy um, that I think is an important, responsible business leader uh, should be doing um, in any business that you're in is considering, you know, those factors from time to time. But additionally, I think of wow as like, you know, the unexpected. What's something that an arcade hasn't done before? What is something that an FEC hasn't been able to execute or deliver on before that would enhance the experience so you know we've seen those games where it's like literally the whole purpose of the game is to try to get a very small um, like hammer or knob through a slot on the wall that pushes out like a huge thick stack of tickets so you can go and have tickets galore for whatever big prizes are at the redemption area those are great but what if what if in our fecs we had a chance to win a ride on the attraction you know, what if what if you're playing to ride the attraction? Because the attraction is probably going to be a separate paid experience as it is, right? You're staffing it with a, probably an employee or two. Uh, there's maintenance costs for running any kind of thing within our facility. So what if part of, hey, you know, you're pumping all this money into these arcade games. Well, that's going to continue to generate hopefully some revenue in the games. But if you have a chance to win or at randomly instead of a game ticket coming out, you get an attraction ticket hey, that's surprising. That's different, right? I wasn't going to do this thing, but now now maybe I will. Um, I think that's a really cool way to kind of cross-pollinate some of the ideas and the concepts to get people to do them or to think about what it is. Or maybe that's how someone finds you. Every day you have 
find this golden coin. If you get this gold coin in your batch of coins, you know, that means you get to fire the cannon or you get to pull the mast, whatever that looks like. Um, the other thing that came to my mind was, you know, if I want people to come back and I want them to come back to do all of the things, or I want them to come back and have a sense of pride or have a reason for them to be invested in this place, what would that look like? And I thought about a competition. I thought about a tournament. I said, what if I have a, an arcade game of like the month and we literally put that arcade game on a physical pedestal up somewhere that can be seen in the facility with a scoreboard and as people play it, you know, whoever gets the high score, maybe it's like, let's start with Pac-Man for example, right? It's a Pac-Man tournament for the month. So Pac-Man is moved from its location to this pedestal. People are playing it, people can see it. And as soon as you get a high score, your name's on the scoreboard. And the goal is at the end of the month, whoever's at that high score up there gets whatever, you know, give them an attraction, give them a, a big prize, a t-shirt, um, a discount rate on something, an event coming up uh, at the facility, something to really elevate that level of competition and make people watch and go, how good is that person? And then bring, bring the game itself some attention, right? Putting a typical basketball shooter could be fun. Well, let's see who can really get the best score in 30 seconds. You know, it kind of elevates that typical traditional arcade game into something more, something you have to return for, something you want to see yourself do and of course we can always include the scores on the website so you have a live update so you can see hey where am i now oh i'm 10th let me go back and see if i can raise my score and do a little better this yes. time right come back yes. later that month and try to outdo yourself or outdo oh man jimmy from down the road just beat my score i gotta go back uh you know something something like that to kind of just build a a return visitor a kind of a, a, a repeat visitor an initiative to make it a routine stop um on the experience I think could be unique and fun. And it creates a photo opportunity, if anything, that just says like, hey, look, I'm on this pedestal. My name's on a board. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, eSports is increasingly becoming something that is a spectacle, that people will either participate in a huge tournament with all these online games, or they will go to an arena to watch these players play. Um, I know that at Cedar Point, they have this large sports complex, and they're uh, if they haven't already built it, they are building an eSports building for that. And it's incredible to think about because there's a lot that I don't know about eSports as a business and as a an entertainment source, but I'm very intrigued because it seems like there's a, a lot of money behind it. They have sponsorships now. They have these arenas that they're selling out. It's incredible to think about be people playing video games, but that being a spectacle itself. And then there being celebrities within that as well. It's very intriguing to think about. And another thing that you mentioned too, specifically with Alva is agrotourism. I think that that could really tie in well to uh, an FEC concept there as well that is highlighting the local industry, which does have a lot of watermelon exports as well. Um, and if you did or didn't, I don't remember if you did earlier, you mentioned maybe like a, a character, a costume, character, mascot, whatever. I already have that picked out for you, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, it's now Alvi, the watermelon from Alvi. Oh, man, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. If yeah, anyone it's... from the city here is listening, I, you know, we're going to sound really stupid, really smart. I'm not sure which one it's going to be. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I think that is, those are two really big concepts that I think are, are lending themselves well to an FEC concept like that that you mentioned, both esports and agrotourism. And I don't know if there are a lot of FECs that I can think of offhand that are involving themselves in that sort of thing. I think esports, now we're just coming to this at the end of this podcast, but esports themselves. I think that if there were an FEC that had a major attraction, which was an eSports gaming center, I think that's all you need. You can include yeah, food true. and beverage if you want, but from what I gather about how popular and how much growth there is for something like eSports as a spectator sport, I think there's something there as well. Maybe I'll when include eSports and the Pirates, I don't know. When it comes to just gaming in general, I think of games as like board games, right? Uh, Monopoly, D&D, um, you know, just different games that you can, you know, what if you have like a comic shop has like you can rent out table spaces and bring a party down and play D&D for a couple hours. Why not include that and somewhere in there to really expand on your game offerings? Esports as well, I think it's a good point. My only question I have now is, is Alvi's arch enemy Gallagher, the guy running around with a giant hammer smashing watermelons all the time? Is that going to be <laughs> a, the whole storyline now as you're escaping uh Gallagher's hammer. Yeah, I think that could be a really fun, tongue-in-cheek way to tie in a, a game experience, maybe even in a shooting dark ride. Who knows? Um, my mind first went to how do I how do I tie in watermelon into a dark ride and say maybe the blasters that we have are blasting weeds, and we're trying to clear out the field so that the watermelons can grow as big as and as healthy as they can. Uh, so maybe that'd be like a, I don't know if that is a, a concept that would have legs to be able to, to go with that. But If we animate it, it'll have legs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think uh, there's a lot of potential, and I think that's what we're getting to here uh, with both the concepts of esports and agritourism that we're just now getting to at the end of this podcast. I think that there is a lot of potential out there for FECs to grow their experience. Of course, there is Chuck E. Cheese. There's always going to be Chuck E. Cheese, I feel like. But there is room there, both in major markets in Orlando and, and elsewhere, but also in smaller markets that might not have a marquee attraction bringing people into the area. I think there's definitely a lot of potential. And I think the concept of an FEC itself is broad enough and flexible enough to be able to reach different audiences in different markets, but still serve the same need as a space to gather and be amused and have fun while still supporting their local community. No, I completely agree. I mean, the possibilities are literally endless. There is so much you can do um, with an FEC concept and, and, and a space like this that either gives back to the community, tells a story, brings people together. Um, and I think the best part about it is, you know, the best example that I can think of is uh, to kind of add one more wow moment uh, to this experience, but also kind of kind of tie it in is like it can change. It can change over time. Science museums literally change out their main exhibit about three or four times a year, depending on the size of the museum and what they have. But there's, you know, there's the staple stuff that's there all the time. And then they have this one exhibit hall that they always change over, whether it's a human body experience or an in-depth look at dinosaurs, you know, space, astrology, whatever it might be. They change over a specific section of the museum all the time. 
why not do that here? Why not bring that into these FEC components where it's like, okay, we have this idea, let's dedicate this space to kind of like maybe what Area 15 does, like, you know, as a concept box is going, this space is going to be, we're going to bring something into it. We're going to enjoy it for X amount of time. It's a selling point to bring repeat visitation to get people in to see something new. And then we're going to ship something else in here new, right? Maybe it's a temporary um, story about a real pirate or it's a, a temporary story about, you know, the Everglades and how the Everglades play a role in the successful growth of the watermelon over here in this part of the state. You know, whatever those things are that you can change it, change it. Use that to your advantage. Yeah. My mind went to, when you were mentioning all of that, the exhibit that is popping up all around the world that is Van Gogh, but mm. via projections where you're able to step into the Starry Night painting and you can see the intricate details of the painting up close because it's projected on the walls around you and onto you, on the floor, on the ceiling, uh, so that you can just live in that environment for an amount of time. Um, I think that's a, a great example of something that is both very applicable uh, to museums, but it's also popping up in a lot of major cities as well. I think D.C. has it now. New York, I'm pretty sure, has it too. Uh, I've seen it happen in Europe as well. Things like that that bring people in. They're very Instagrammable. <laughs> very Instagrammable. Mm -hmm. That's important too. That is so true. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of potential out there to make things fresh and make things new. And I think that's some of the brilliance of the concept of a family entertainment center itself. All right. I think that we, we went in two very different directions with this concept of creating our ideal FEC. If money were not an object, if we didn't have to worry about realism or permits or anything, our minds went in two very different directions. And I'm glad that that was the case because that made for what I think was a very interesting conversation. And I'm sure that the listener has been very intrigued as well. I'm sure that they are. Dear listener, thank you for listening so far. It's been an incredible discussion. It's been a pleasure to have Max on for this podcast episode. Max, thank you for taking the time out of your day, uh, bearing with me through the technical difficulties as I make sure my internet is functioning. <laughs> Um, but I think we had a really good discussion here. Thank you for that. No, thank I mean, thank you. Um, thanks DJ for letting me not, for not being here so I can fill it in today. And thank you, Chris, <laughs> for the, for the invite, uh, to come, come do this. This was definitely a lot of fun. I hope I was able to clearly articulate, uh, the thoughts here and not send your listeners brains into a corkscrew. Um, even though that might be the point of the podcast, I was hoping for more of just a, a simple helix, you know, not really a corkscrew, but just a simple helix of thought. Uh, so hopefully we're able to do that. This was a lot of fun. I'd be more than happy to share more thoughts again and spend more time chatting with you guys about any of these other concepts or the news in the industry, man. This was, this was a good time. Thank you. Yeah. We like to call it a corkscrew conversation because the name of the podcast is corkscrew convos. Oh, oh, now <laughs> yeah. I get it. That's so yeah, I'd thank say, you for, thank you for yeah. drawing those lines together. I wasn't quite sure I understood this was called corkscrew <laughs> conversations because Sometimes the conversation ends up in a court. I did that. It's much clearer of a picture now. Thank you so much. 
Well, I I think that you and I had a corkscrew conversation today. If you, dear listener, would like to have a corkscrew conversation with us, there are many ways for you to interact with the show. We have an email address, which is corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. We are on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, the TikTok, sort of. Um, And we are also corkscrewconvos.com if you'd like to interact with the show. Uh, Max, is there any way that they could either listen to you more or interact with you in some way? Well, if uh, if anyone's really good at finding podcasts, I started one uh, during the pandemic, uh, mostly because I wanted to have some type of audio journal, and I called it Q Clips Talking to the Max. Where <laughs> talking me, to the Max, <laughs> like we're doing right now, uh, yeah. where me and my now wife um, started just some dialogue of things that have been going on in our life, talking about things. It's kind of tapered off, to be completely honest about it. Um, but there's nothing to say that it won't come back in time. But if anyone wants to reach out and have a conversation, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to reach out to my email address uh, that's on there. That'll be the easiest way to shoot me a message. Say you heard me on this podcast. That way I know where you're coming from and I can have a frame of reference to understand where our conversation might begin. Uh, but feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Facebook. Until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is Max. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening.